Hello, and welcome to Market Matters, Thompson Hines' podcast series that explores critical legal and regulatory issues affecting the investment management industry. I'm Mike Weibel, a partner in the investment management group at Thompson Hines. Today's topic is the SEC's recently proposed amendments to the exemptions from the proxy rules for proxy voting advisors. My guest today is Nathan Holmes, a partner in Thompson Hines' employee benefits and executive compensation practice. Nathan, thanks for joining us today. Happy to join you, Mike. Thanks. About two weeks ago, the SEC, by a 3-2 vote, approved proposed amendments to the rules applicable to companies that provide proxy voting advice to asset managers and others. Nathan, can you give us an overview of those amendments? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Happy to. The recently proposed SEC rules deal with proxy advisory firms and the extent to which the uh, uh, proxy statement solicitation rules apply to those firms. And when we talk about proxy advisory firms, two big names here are Institutional Shareholder Services, or ISS, and Glass-Lewis. Basically, the SEC's proposed rules define solicitation, or the solicitation of a proxy, to include the main business activities of these two organizations. That is, these are firms that make recommendations to security holders and to asset managers about how they should vote their proxies on various matters ballots in corporate America, and that's furnished for a fee to their uh, subscribers to their services. Uh, And those are both organizations that hold themselves out as as experts in providing this sort of service to investment managers. So that's a change, right, Nathan, because they previously weren't considered to be soliciting proxies before? Well, that's a great question, Mike, and it kind of depends who you ask. This this whole development is really a, a battle that has been kind of developing over a long period of time between the SEC and these organizations and corporate issuers uh, as well. Uh, The SEC, before it issued the proposed rules, had issued some uh, interpretive guidance uh, basically saying the same thing, that the activities of ISS or Glass-Lewis when they're recommending to their subscribers as to how to vote on uh, uh, proxy proposals constitute solicitation for purposes of the proxy rules, which would bring into effect the anti-fraud provisions of the proxy rules. The SEC couched that as just a uh, clarification or interpretation of the existing law and said it's not inconsistent with what the law already says. When the SEC came out with that notice, however, ISS uh, fairly promptly responded by suing the SEC for declaratory action to avoid the uh, interpretive guidance on the basis that it wasn't proposed through notice and comment procedures. It was arbitrary and capricious. And it was, from their perspective, it's a huge change. Mm. They say, well, we're just investment advisors. We're subject to regulation under uh, the Investment Advisors Act, and that should be the only regime that applies to us. So the SEC came out with interpretive guidance earlier this year. ISS didn't like it one bit. They sued, and now the SEC has come out with these proposed rules. Mm. But as, as I say, this has really been brewing over a much longer time. And from my perspective, it really follows along with the development of the influence of the proxy advisory firms as it relates to voting on executive compensation matters. Mm -hmm. Now, proxy advisory firms are going to make their recommendations to their subscribers on any matter that's on the, the corporate ballot. But since 2011, we've had advisory voting, so what's called say on pay voting uh, in corporate America, where shareholders get to cast a non-binding advisory vote on whether they approve or disapprove of the compensation of the named executive officers of a public company 
as that's disclosed in the proxy statement. And that development in particular, I think, has really served to help heighten the influence of proxy advisory firms like ISS and Glass-Lewis. I mean, imagine from, from your perspective, you may see this. You know, some of the very large investment managers are going to have their own in-house shop that's going to focus on corporate governance issues and how to vote all the, the items on the ballot. But if you're somewhere in the middle or a much smaller firm, you know, a firm like ISS or Glass-Lewis is going to, you know, serve a really useful purpose to you, right, to help you figure out how to vote proposals that may not be, you know, in the core of what your normal stock picking business is. Well, and some of the largest asset managers will use Glass-Lewis or ISS anyway because they have the, the sheer number of, of uh, shares that we own in various issuers. It makes it uh, administratively difficult to, to process all of those proxy ballots and uh, determine how to vote in each case. Absolutely right. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that was pointed out in uh, ISS's lawsuit, and it's addressed to some extent in the uh, in the SEC proposed rules preamble, is that you know in some cases ISS or Glass Lewis will be um, just applying the custom voting policies of their client, right? But the SEC's view is even that action is the solicitation of a proxy and implicates the uh, anti-fraud rules and also some new provisions which would apply if these proposed rules go into effect. So so even though they the, the, under the proposed rules, proxy advisory services would be considered to be soliciting, they are able to get out of the sort of solicitation section of the rules by complying with certain provisions, is that right? That's right. They'd be, sub, they'd be subject to the anti-fraud rule in any case, right? They couldn't uh, make material misstatements or uh, omit facts that are would be materially misleading. But in order to avoid having to file proxy materials themselves with the SEC, the proposed rules would put in place something that's a brand new process that doesn't exist today and would be very interesting. For one thing, it would require certain disclosures by the proxy advisory firms about conflicts of interest. And this is one of the the topics that corporate America has been, from my perspective, quite fairly Mm -hmm. complaining about uh, for years because particularly in the case of ISS, they have proven very adept at sort of monetizing their position in between institutional investors and corporate issuers. So what do you mean by that? Well, so ISS's principal client, right, is going to be the investment advisors or or other institutional investors who are hiring them to give recommendations about how they should vote all of these ballot items that are, are, are showing up throughout their portfolio. So those folks pay ISS money for that service. On the other side of the coin, that's that's money coming into the right hand of ISS, you might say. The money coming into the left hand of ISS comes from those corporate issuers who are trying to get their proposals approved, whether that be the uh, approval of a new equity compensation plan, something I spend a, a large portion of my time dealing with, or the approval of that non-binding say on pay vote, which I also spend a fair amount of time working with. So if you're an issuer and you're going to go to shareholders and ask for approval of a new stock plan, for example, um, you're going to think pretty uh, seriously about dealing with ISS first. And ISS has technically, it's a subsidiary of ISS. It's ISS Corporate Solutions, I think is the the name they're using for it now. That's the entity that a corporate issuer can hire to evaluate their uh, stock plan proposal and or to give comments on the the compensation discussion and analysis, CD&A section of the proxy for how they might dress that up to appeal to shareholders for a say on pay vote. So 
ISS is also receiving funds in many cases from corporate issuers who are paying to have a warm and fuzzy feeling that whatever they're going to ask shareholders to approve will get the ISS uh, seal of approval uh, before okay. they file it. In the okay, so they're asking ISS to tell them how to structure the proposal so that it passes ISS buster so that ISS can then recommend it to investors to approve. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So what what else, uh, besides that, that's obviously a clear conflict. What, mm-hmm. what, what other mm-hmm. uh, provisions are there? That's right. So that conflict would need to be more prominently disclosed than it is now. But more interestingly, beyond that, these new rules would set in place, if they are finalized, a process whereby corporate issuers who file their proxy materials on a timely basis could be given, as of right, an opportunity to review ISSs and comment on uh, ISS or Glass-Lewis's or any other proxy advisory firm to review and comment on their proxy report, voting recommendations, before they're finalized. And also, the corporate issuers would be given the right, the uh, proxy advisory firms to include in their materials a hyperlink or other means of attaching a statement uh, by the corporate issuer responding directly to the uh, proxy advisory firm's report. That doesn't exist today. Of course, you can uh, respond uh, publicly, and issuers would need to do that as well. They're going to have to file uh, additional proxy soliciting materials. But you could kind of ride along, if this process goes through, you could ride along in ISS's report. Those notice and comment periods um, kind of vary depending on uh, how soon uh, the issuer files its report. As long as you file your proxy statement, that is, at least 25 days before the meeting, you would get at least some advance notice of what ISS was going to say and the opportunity to include your comments in ISS's materials. If you, you know, uh, file your proxy statement at least 45 days before the meeting, you get a little more advance notice. But that would be a really interesting process to see how that plays out. Well, interesting to say the least, because then the, the, the ISS customer or the investor is going to be receiving, could possibly receive two recommendations, right? Mm-hmm. The ISS's recommendation as well as the proxy solicit, uh, the, pro- the issuer, um, their view of ISS's S's recommendations. That mm-hmm. sort of puts the investor, particularly say a pension plan or a corporate, you know, something like that, in mm-hmm. a really difficult situation. Well, I think I think that's right. It, 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 it's uh, it, this is a a new innovation <laughs> that, that the SEC is trying out. I think it could be very useful to issuers, just making sure that your point gets across at the same time that someone's reading the ISS report. That same information is right there. They don't have to go and look at it. Uh, additional proxy materials or soliciting materials that you might file with the SEC. But the schools of thought kind of differ on how to respond to uh, ISS when they provide uh, a negative recommendation on, a, uh, on an issuer's proposal. And, you know, I, I think that the initial trend when, when ISS, you know, when Sam Pay votes uh, began and ISS started occasionally making negative recommendations was to respond very aggressively to what ISS had to say and, and, and critiquing their methodology and things like that. I think most people found, however, that that's not generally a very productive means of dealing with your, your shareholder base mm-hmm. uh, and that it's more important just to be out there, A, proactively <laughs> before it gets to ISS, and then, you know, if necessary, afterwards through shareholder engagement, really telling the story of what your compensation program is, why it's structured the way that it is, and getting feedback from your shareholders about what it is that they like, mm. don't like, would like to see improved about uh, how you pay your, your top executives. You know, one of the things you said earlier on was the um, 
anti-fraud provisions of the proxy rules. It's my understanding that this proposal also sort of broadens, I guess, the anti-fraud uh, rules or the applicability to the, the proxy solicitor's, solicitor's advice? Uh, well, I think that's right. Well, what it does is really makes those, it would make those rules clearly applicable to the advice of proxy advisory firms. I think their view right now is if we're just regulated under the Investment Advisors Act, the rules that apply there in general under the proxy statement rules don't uh, apply to um, research reports that are published by proxy advisory firms. Mm. But here they, they, they clearly would be if the uh, SEC proposal uh, is adopted. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, um, there was an article yesterday, in the, uh, not an article, but an editorial from mm -hmm. uh, Carl Icahn in the, in the Wall Street Journal I yesterday. I saw it. I saw it. Right. And I think one of the points he makes is that by mm, saying that any misstatement or omission mm -hmm. from the proxy advisory service could constitute fraud, is a way of shutting down the you know the proxy service business, advisory business and, and, and sort of muzzling them. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, and he's obviously looking at it from an activist shareholder standpoint. That's right. That's right. Well, clearly, it's, a, it's a, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a shot across the bow uh, from the SEC towards proxy advisory firms. And and we should say going back when the, earlier this summer when the SEC issued the initial interpretive guidance, there was another piece of guidance that was issued really to uh, investment advisors themselves, which, among other things, suggested that, you know, there's some level of diligence that an investment advisor needs to do before it just decides to rely on the advice of a proxy advisory firm like ISS or, or Glass-Lewis. Yeah. But I do think it, this, this is, uh, and again, in many ways, this is a, a conflict that's been developing for a number of years, and, and, and corporate issuers have had a lot of concerns with the way ISS, you know, runs its business. Not just the, the, the obvious conflict of issues that we that we talked about, but uh, also, you know, there are substantive positions that ISS takes. You know, the ones that I see relate to executive compensation uh, in some areas that many corporate issuers don't agree with. Things like saying that, you know, stock options are not performance-based compensation. Uh, that's an ISS position. It's not the only way of looking at the world. Uh, sometimes a sense that ISS, while it generally does a very good job of uh, sort of articulating what its methodologies are for reviewing compensation-related shareholder proposals, there's still a sense that it's not always clear how things get <laughs> applied, how those rules are applied in practice, and whether they're always applied consistently. And sometimes there's a sense that, you know, ISS may be misreading the facts mm -hmm. uh, and may have something wrong about a, a company's compensation program. So this has been something that corporate issuers have been raising to the SEC for a while, and then the SEC is, is taking action. Yeah, and I think that, that that point you just made is, was reflected in the, in the guidance that you mentioned earlier from the SEC to asset managers, which, mm -hmm. which says, you know, basically look at uh, whether there's any conflicts of interest that might be, um, you know, um, present in, in the advice that Glass Lewis or ISS has given, mm -hmm. also, um, and a lot, you know, even though you get the advice from the proxy advisory service, you should be looking on a fund-by-fund, client-by-client basis to determine whether that advice is, is appropriate mm -hmm. uh, for your client or for the fund that you're advising. So right. it's very interesting. Oh, so, uh, Nathan, what do you think the, the prognosis for passage or ado final adoption of the rule is? Well, that's that's a little tough to say at this point, Mike. As you pointed out, it's a 3-2 to two vote, and it was a 3-2 to two vote on the... Uh, the issuance of the earlier interpretive guidance 
as well, so that's not a very strong margin. I think we're going to see, I would expect, a lot of comments. The comment period is open, you know, it was a 60-day comment period. I think the, the proposed rules came out November 5th, if I remember correctly. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of comments submitted. I doubt we'll see anything one way or the other in time for the main proxy season uh, next year in 2020. But there's a good chance that something could happen here. There are always political in events that could intervene, and, and who knows where this ultimately goes. But it's going to be, one way or the other, very interesting to watch. You know, from, the, from my perspective as someone who advises uh, public company issuers, it's a little hard to suppress the, uh, the, sh the schadenfreude here of uh, enjoying ISS, you know, having to, who's been in some ways a thorn in the side, or at least an annoyance to corporate issuers for a while to see them needing to address the SEC's concerns, and these are real legitimate concerns. But I also begin to wonder whether, if these rules do go through, uh, will this be all that we would hope it to be? You know, sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, and if this is something that, uh, if the ultimate result of this is a situation where proxy advisory firms have less influence or authority in, in the process, is that necessarily a good thing? It seems like it might be, but to the extent that it creates uh, less predictability about the results mm -hmm. of uh, balloting for uh, proposals that relate to uh, executive compensation, for example, I'm, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a good thing. It may also advantage, you know, or, or uh, give more power to certain segments of the, of the uh, corporate shareholder base if you know, ISS's or Glassius's recommendations uh, are taken less seriously in the future. Yeah. But either way, it'll be very interesting yeah. to develop. I, I mean, I agree with you that this could be a lot of comment letters, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, particularly, particularly since at the same day the proposal on shareholder proposals mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with the rise of uh, ESG funds and impact investing, uh, there's going to be a lot more voices in the discussion than there previously might have been on a, on a topic like this. Yeah. I think that's yeah. absolutely right. So, uh, well, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us today. It was very informative talking with you, as always. I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure, Mike. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic or Thompson Hines investment management practice or Thompson Hines employee benefits and executive compensation practice, please visit ThompsonHine.com. With approximately 400 lawyers in eight offices, Thompson Hine is a full-service business law firm recognized for innovation and client service. Our smart path approach provides clients with service that is predictable, efficient, and aligned with their goals.